Well, <clears throat> we're looking at our fifth installment of this particular series I've been giving. <clears throat> and in our last talk on the judgment, we learned that God has, in fact, appointed a day. And that, of course, October 22, 1844, is when it began. And we learned in our presentation that the Father is not the one to fear in the judgment. But we learned who it is we ought to fear. And that's ourselves. Is that right? Certainly God has made every provision for our success, but it's up to us to cooperate with him so that he can finish what he has begun. And so once more, as I get ready to present, I would like to have a word of prayer, and we'll get into our presentation. Father in heaven, I again want to echo the prayers that are, have ascended before you. And Savior, uh, I am so thankful that you are teaching us these beautiful truths. And they are truths that give courage and hope, but also meaning. And Lord, this, this next one is, um, is kind of a comprehensive, and yet we tighten things down just a little more to get a deeper and broader comprehension of what the sanctuary is about and what your work is and the goal for each of us. And so, Savior, once more, I do ask for the outpouring of your spirit. I pray that you'll give me the words, Father, and I pray that you will send a mighty angel be on my side. Please, Lord, to assist me here in your spirit to fill me, to strengthen me, and to empower me. Above all, Lord, I really pray you'll give me the thoughts you wish me to share and the illustrations you know every heart here, Father, and you know the struggles. Give a word of peace to each, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. October 22, 1844, the judgment began. The cleansing, as we were singing earlier, about the record of sin in heaven. But as we consider that, we have to understand that there is another work that God is seeking to do. And that is while he is cleansing the sanctuary in heaven of our record of sin, there has to be a corresponding cleansing in the hearts and minds of the people of God that are waiting for the second coming of Jesus. We have to understand that Jesus is trying to get our attention fixed on what he is doing so that we can cooperate with him. There is a crisis coming upon the world. And that crisis is indicating to us that the work of Christ is about to finish and, and that work is to prepare us for that crisis. In this presentation, we're going to wrestle with and come to an understanding of why Jesus has not returned. As I shared with you, when I first gave my life to Christ, I, I, I couldn't wait for Jesus to return, and so I studied the Bible trying to figure out if there was a way I could know when. He would, and, and as, I, as I studied, I realized that Jesus, Jesus should have come before now. We are on overtime. He should have come over 100 years ago. So then my focus switched as to what the holdup was. I wanted to know what the holdup was so we could take care of business and get on with this. 
So let's find out why Jesus has not returned yet. I hope you have your handouts with you. We're going to look at question number one. <clears throat> what is the ultimate goal? What is, the, what is God's ultimate goal for his people? Great Controversy 44, Christ will clothe his faithful ones with his own righteousness, that he may present them to his Father, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Their names stand enrolled in the books of life, and concerning them it is written, they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And so the goal of the plan of salvation is total and complete victory over sin. To once again bring humanity into perfect harmony with God, with perfect harmony with love, for God is love. And we've learned that this victory is, can only be achieved by an abiding relationship with Christ, a walk with him every day by beholding him and yielding to his leading, we become changed. Take a look at the note right below number one. As we know, sanctification, victory, is the daily surrender of our will to the will of God. It is a work that God does in the repentant sinner who chooses to yield daily to God's leading by way of an abiding relationship. While with humble trust we meditate upon Jesus, we learn to walk in his footsteps. By beholding him, we become changed into his likeness through the inner working of the Holy Spirit. And you know, this is really the problem with the remnant church at the end. You remember the, the, prince, the, the parable Jesus gave of the ten virgins. Five were foolish, five were wise. They were virgins. That meant they were all, they all had the truth. That was all the last day church. Brothers and sisters, they were all Seventh-day Adventists. That's what it means. They all had a lamp. Thy word is a lamp. They all had the word. And they all had a measure of oil because the oil is found in here, which is the Holy Spirit. But only one group, half of them, had the oil in their vessels, these earthen vessels. They allowed the truth to transform their life. Turn with me really quick to the book of Daniel. And we're going to go to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. I'm going to read verse 4. The angel talking to Daniel, who the very the end of the book of Daniel, the book of judgment. Daniel means God is my judge. And verse 4 of Daniel 12, it says, But you, Daniel, shut up the word, seal up the book to the time of the end, Many shall run true and fro, and knowledge shall what? Increase. Back then they didn't have books. They had scrolls. When they did their studies, they had to roll them out, and they had to run this way, and they had to run that way to make comparisons. Many would run true and fro, and knowledge would... This isn't about technology. This is about a knowledge of the word of God, more specifically of God's plan to save humanity. The book of the judgment, the book of Daniel, is an unfolding of that plan. Let's take a look at verse number 9. And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Take a look at 10, but watch this now. Many shall be what? Purified, made what? White and what? 
But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the... The wise will understand. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in the life to transform the life and bring it into harmony with God. There will be a generation in the end that will understand this and will cooperate with that work. Take a look at number two. Jesus will do this work in the lives of those who wait, who want it. Now, this is very interesting because what we're going to see is... um, is an Old Testament picture of the investigative judgment. We're not going to Daniel this time. We're going to Malachi. Malachi 3, a judgment scene, verses 1 through 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to what? His temple, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like the launderer's soap. He shall sit as a refiner and a what? A purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. What we're talking about here is a living sacrifice. A daily death. Here we find a picture of the refiner's fire working to refine. And it's interesting, it talks about the sons of Levi. And if you go, you can reference this, 1 Peter 2.9, it talked about God's people under the new covenant as a nation of priests. God is preparing his people. The work of the investigative judgment is to purify and prepare a people. And you know, the refiner, when he's working with the metal, when he's working with gold and he has it in that pot and he has it melted and he cranks the heat and the impurities come to the surface and he gets a stick and he takes the impurities out and then he cranks up the heat a little more and then when the impurities come to the surface more, he cleans it off, boom, keeps cranking up the heat. When does he know he's finished? When he can see his reflection. That's when he knows it is done. Let's take a look at number three. The process involves a cooperative investigation. And again, I can't help but think of King David, who wrote those pretty songs, sang the beautiful music, who was a good boy, obedient to his family, and I'm sure he thought he was a very good guy, but there was something lurking in his heart in the area of lust. And it took a situation to bring that to the surface. And suddenly he saw himself in a different light. And I can't help but think that his understanding at that point of the sanctuary took off because he felt his need, his need of a savior. And so here he writes in Psalms 26, 1 through 3, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Examine me, O Lord. Improve me. Try my mind. And my heart for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. David is calling for an investigation because he's come to the realization that just because he doesn't see anything wrong with himself doesn't mean that that is necessarily true. And so 
What has he come to learn? Take a look at number four. The righteous call for this investigation because they've come to understand that they are blind to their own sinful condition and need the help of Jesus, not only for healing, but also for diagnosis. And David said in Psalms 19.12, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from what? My secret faults. You know, when I was in my, in my 20s, I was just beginning my walk with the Lord. I had an experience with my sister that was really helpful to me. You know, you ever have that person in your life that can just eyeball you and tell it to you straight and you can take it? I hope you have someone like that in your life. My sister is one of those people. I, my sister and I are so close. And uh, I was in my 20s. I was, I was uh, at home talking with her. She, we were, she was in a room. I was standing in the doorway. And I don't remember now what the issue was, but she was pointing out something in my life that she felt I needed to change. So I thought about it, I didn't see it, therefore it didn't exist, it was her problem. Ever been there? So anyway, I uh, got in my car and I was driving off to see my grandmother there in Glendale and I was driving down York Boulevard, Eagle Rock Boulevard, going towards um, Adams Hill there and her words kept echoing in my mind like she was sitting right next to me in the car. It was so annoying. And so I'm driving along and I'm thinking, why can't I get this out of my head? So I turned on the radio to drown it out and it just stayed there. But I was, I was beginning my walk with Christ and I was beginning to wonder if that wasn't God in my head. Pushing the rewind and play, rewind, play. <laughs> so as I'm driving, I said to the Lord, Lord, is that you? Surely that is not true, Lord. I don't see it. There's just no way. Kept, kept driving, kept recording and playing. And so finally I said, Lord, if it's true, show me. And dear friend, the week wasn't out. And the Lord revealed to me that it was. And I learned something in my 20s, that we can be totally blind to our own stuff while everybody else is seeing it. We can be completely blind. And so David understood this. And so he, therefore, he writes in Psalms 139, 23, and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my anxieties, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Paul came to this understanding in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 4 and 5. He says, For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of what? The heart, so that we can come to understand our own motives. Let me ask you a question. If you have a computer, which virus is the worst one? The one that you know you have or the one you don't know you have? Because the one you know you have, you're going to do something about it. But the one you don't know you have is still causing damage even though you're not aware that you have it. Does that make sense? And that can take place in our relationships and in our home. I could be ignorant, but it's not protecting everybody else from the results. Does that make sense? So God wants us to be aware. God wants to deal with sin at every level 
and it has to be done before he returns. Why? Watch why. This is why for this last generation, this issue is extremely important. You realize that when Jesus came the first time, really, basically, nobody was ready, but he could do it. But the second time, not so. We have to be ready for him to return. Let's begin to unpack this. Great Controversy 425. Those who are living upon the earth when the intercession of Christ shall cease in the sanctuary above are to stand in the sight of a holy God without a mediator. Their robes must be spotless. Their characters must be purified from sin by the blood of sprinkling. Through the grace of God and their own diligent effort, they must be conquerors in the battle with evil. While the investigative judgment is going forth in heaven, while the sins of the penitent believer, believers are being removed from the sanctuary, there is to be a special work of what? Of purification. Let's define that now. Of putting away of sin among God's people. Where? On earth. God is a consuming fire to sin. When Jesus returns this next time, he will, his glory will not be veiled by humanity. This time when he returns, this is the cavalry coming to the rescue. He is coming in all of his glory. Not only his own glory, but that of the angels. And so his presence is a consuming fire to sin. So we have to remember what sin is by definition is a transgression of what? Of the law of God. Sin is rebellion. And there are many well-meaning people out there that are saying we're going to keep sinning up to the second coming and be saved. And a lot of people are buying it hook, line, and sinker. And it's a form, it's an Adventist form of once saved, always saved. There's no truth in it. It's deception. Forgive me if there's anyone here who has believed that. It is pure deception. It is not true. Remember the angels of heaven were kicked out for rebelling? Nobody is going in that way. Those guys don't want that back up there. They've been through this before. Any more than we want to go through this again. They don't either. They don't either. I want to show you a quote from Great Controversy 623. Are we there? Put it here on the screen. Great Controversy 623. All right. Let's set the stage here. Now, when? While our great high priest is making the atonement for us, we should seek to become what? Perfect in Christ. Not even by a thought... Could our Savior be brought to yield to the power of temptation? Satan finds in human hearts some point where he can gain a foothold. Some sinful desire is cherished by means of which his temptations assert their power. A foothold, brothers and sisters, becomes a stronghold. Remember that. But Christ declared of himself, The prince of this world cometh and have nothing in me. Satan could find nothing in the Son of God that will enable him to gain the victory. He had kept his father's commandments, and there was no sin in him that Satan could use to his advantage. This is the condition in which those must be found who shall, who shall stand in the time of trouble. 
not even by a... Next paragraph. It is in this life that we are to separate sin from us. Through faith in the atoning blood of Christ, our precious Savior invites us to join ourselves to Him, to unite our weakness to His strength, our ignorance to His wisdom, our unworthiness to His merits. God's providence is the school in which we are to learn the meekness and lowliness of Jesus. The Lord is ever setting before us not the way we would choose, which seems easier and pleasanter to us, but the true aims of life. It rests with us to cooperate with the agencies which heaven employs in the work of conforming our characters to the divine model. None can neglect or defer this work, but at the most fearful peril of their own, what? Souls. You know, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I was thrown into despair. I said, not even by a thought, it's over for me. You might as well take me out back and shoot me and get it over with. There's no way I'm going to be able to get there. Does that sound familiar, brothers and sisters? You know, I hope you feel total despair right now. I really do. Because we have to get to that point before we're willing to turn to Jesus for help. It's the honest truth. We have to give up on ourselves, and God never asked us to change ourselves. He only asked us to cooperate with him so he can do it. Do you see the difference? Remember Jesus made the comment that the Ethiopian cannot change the color of his skin. He said the leopard cannot change his spots. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. Our focus is in the wrong place. It has to be on Jesus. We have to come to the place to realize there's nothing good in me, but there is in Christ. And he has promised that the work he's begun on in my life, he has promised to finish. By the way, just a side note, write down this, this, this page, Great Controversy 620, GC 620. If you want to read about those who are going to be sinning right up to the second coming and think they're going to be saved, they're recorded for us on page 620. It is a tragic scene. And watch what got them there. Very interesting. GC 620. So now, let's take a look at the note right below number five. It says, the putting away of sin is another way of saying no longer giving into it. It means living above its power through the ministration of our great high priest. Here we also find the reason why Jesus has not returned yet for his people. Number six, why has Jesus not returned before now? Pamphlet 145, look at the first three words. Christ is waiting. You know, it's so funny, I thought we were. No, he is. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of the Savior shall be, there's that word again, perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim his own. It is the privilege of every Christian not only to look for, but to what? Hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Were all who profess his name bearing fruit to his glory, how quickly the whole world would be sown with the seed of the gospel. Quickly the last great harvest would be ripened and Christ would come. Christ is waiting. He is waiting. We were given a message in 1888 called Righteousness by Faith. We had just grasped it then. This meeting would not be taking place here today. And Christ 
is continuing to wait for a generation that will grasp it. You see, you have to understand that right now the wicked, those who are doing evil and are justified in it, are not asking for forgiveness. Am I right? Their sin, their, their, those pleas are not going to heaven because they're not asking for it. So, so Jesus right now is in the most holy place, and when you and I gath, we sin. There's no gath is a mistake. When we sin, there's a difference. When we sin, and then we acknowledge and ask God for forgiveness, what does he do? With his blood, he washes away that sin. Right next to it, it says pardon. Isn't that right? And then, and then Howard asks for forgiveness, and then Sally does, and Jesus keeps working, brothers and sisters. What is going to have to happen before Jesus can finally leave the most holy place? The need to keep him there is going to have to end. That's what's going to have to happen, brothers and sisters. The reason Jesus has not returned is because of us. Are you with me? Is this making sense? I want to, I want, I want, I, I, there's something I have to communicate here that's very important. God wants every one of us to be saved. There isn't anyone in this room that's not savable. That's not, that's not even possible unless we've given up hope and we've turned our backs on him. There's nothing else he can do. He won't force us. Are you with me? So I want you to understand this. <clears throat> How many people would have had to have sinned on earth before God would have sent his son? You believe that? Just one. Brothers and sisters, if the whole world, the entire world, probation had closed, Everybody had made their decision, but you. You were the last one left. If you were cooperating with Christ, he will work with you and hold up the second coming until he has you safely sealed. He will hold up the second coming for what? Until he has you safely sealed. Then he'll say, let's go get them. Are you with me? He's not going to lose one. There isn't going to be a moment where Jesus is going to look at his watch and say, Oh, wow, John, <laughs> if you had just started on your journey towards me just a week sooner, I could have saved you. You were doing well, but time's up. You're lost. That is a horrible picture of God. That's not how he works. He, he will work with us as long as we're willing to cooperate with him. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Let's take a look at the note below six. This is the reason why Jesus has not returned yet. His waiting is an act of what, brothers and sisters? Of mercy. For him to return before his people are ready would be fatal to them. So he waits. He waits for his people to believe him and cooperate with him so he can finish the work that he has begun in them. When this work is done, he will come to claim them as his own. Jesus will finally leave the most holy place when there's no longer a need for his mediatory work there. And so he waits. Jesus will leave when he's out of business. And so in the meanwhile, he waits. But what is this waiting doing to him? Education, page 263. Those who think of the result of hastening or hindering the gospel think of it in relation to themselves and to the world. Few think of its relation to God. Few give thought to the suffering that sin has caused our creator. All heaven suffered in Christ's agony. But that suffering did not begin nor end with his manifestation in humanity. The cross is a revelation to our dull senses of the pain that from its very inception sin has brought to the heart of God. Watch this. 
Every departure from the right, every deed of cruelty, every failure of humanity to reach his ideal brings grief to the heart of God. There is no one in the universe that wants to bring an end to the controversy more than our Savior. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that God knows everything? Do you believe he's all-powerful? If God knows everything and he's all-powerful, and through the Holy Spirit he can be everywhere, is it possible that God seals everything? When you're in your room by yourself and the tears flow and, the, and you feel your heart's going to burst because of the pain in, that you are feeling at that moment, dear friend, please know that that pain is reverberating in the heart of God. Could it be that that's what Jesus meant when he said, as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me? Of course, there's a flip side to this. When we relieve the suffering of another, we relieve it from the heart of God. The same thing. But God is watching what's happening in this world, and he is feeling all of it. Tonight, when you and I lay our heads on our nice warm pillow, overseeing this planet, is a loving God who is watching every rape, every murder, every child being molested, every tortured human soul, every persecuted. Are you with me? And he is feeling it all. This waiting is bringing grief and agony and pain to our Savior. We have an opportunity to bring an end to that. We do. But how? Jesus is painfully waiting, but how can we cooperate with him to bring an end to this? Well, there are several things we need to remember. First of all, we have to understand that sin has to go. Not only our outward behavior, but in our thoughts. But not just in our thoughts, but even stuff we're not aware of. As we ask God to, to, to work with us, we have to realize that he wants to deal with all of it. Now, there's, there's several things here we have to remember in, in this process. Surrendering our wills to the Lord is a process. You know, I like watching, I love working with little babies. In fact, every time I go to hospital, I like stopping at the little baby place and just seeing the, the window and looking inside and seeing the babies. I love that. Uh, I, I, we've had two kids, and, and, and I love babies. And, but have you ever seen a baby when he's learning to walk? What do babies learning to walk often do? They fall, right? Okay, and you've seen this, right? Babies learning to walk and they fall. How many of you have ever seen parents who working with their baby and they're stumbling and then falls and a parent said this? Have you ever seen this? A parent say this. What are you doing? That you are embarrassing me in front of all these people. Will you get up, please? Look, it's like this. It's like this. Get up. You ever seen that? No. What, what, the, what, what happens is that the parent leans over and says, nice try, good effort, here, take, let me take you by the hand, that's it, next step. That's the picture of God. Babies learning to walk often fall. But the goal is to walk without, and babies eventually learn that. And so what happened when I gave my life to Jesus, there was a number of areas in my life that all I was doing was falling. And I shared one of them, the foul language. And the Lord says, son, that's got to go. And so I began to walk with Jesus. And there were days, you can scare me, and I didn't say anything, but the next day I would. 
And so I was walking but stumbling and falling. Now I am walking with Jesus in that area. It's surrendered to him. I'm good. I have nothing to brag. It is the work he has done in me. But once we got that up and running, he said, about this other area, George. And now he's beginning to teach me to walk in that. There's a number of areas now that by the grace of God, I am working with him. I praise the Lord. There are other areas in my character that he is still working with me on. I'm still learning, learning to walk. And sometimes I stumble. And one of them is the area of impatience. That doesn't reflect Jesus at all. You know, it doesn't reflect Jesus. And so the Lord is teaching me to walk in that area, but the goal is to walk. And the other thing is I have to remember that the way God deals with me is not necessarily the way he's going to deal with you because our experience is different. Does that make sense? There are some people that you tell them God loves you and you just don't know what picture just came to their mind. They didn't have a good experience with their father. They had a bad one. So you're going to have to reach them through Jesus. Are you with me? God deals with all of us differently because we're starting from a different place. But the goal is to deal with the rebellion in our lives. Take a look at number eight. For what purpose does God want to deal with sin, which is selfishness, in its totality? We're going to look at this text again. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having what? Or what? Or any such thing, but that they should be holy and without blemish. This is all sanctuary terms for the word sin. He's saying, zilch. It's so funny. When I was in North Carolina, there was a, uh, um, I know the Metcalfs lived out there. We, were, we met out there. I don't know. Do you all ever go to Fort Fisher? No. Fort Fisher is on the very little pinnacle there of uh, New Hanover County. And, uh, and they're, they're, uh, they have beautiful lawn. And, and on the grass, the guy taking care of the lawn had put a sign. I wish I'd taken a picture of it because it was so awesome. Uh, it said, please do not, and it was a long sign, but small words. It said, please do not walk, hop, run, sachet, crawl, roll. And, and it was a paragraph, and it ended with, on our grass. Now, I'm sure it began with, please don't walk on our grass, and some kid ran across it. Hey, did you see the sign? Yeah, but I ran. So please don't walk or run. And then another one hopped across. Didn't you see the sign? Yeah, but I hopped. And so he has this long list to try to cover everything. And that's what God is doing here. He's saying not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And if that's not enough, they should be holy and without blemish. He is saying no rebellion. That is the goal of the plan of salvation to restore the lost image of God, his character of love in humanity. I want to show you some quotes here that are awesome. Youth instructor, 1890 died. But Christ was to bear, look at this, this is amazing. But Christ was to bear the penalty of the transgression of the law of God, watch, not to give men liberty to continue in sin, but to take away their inclination to sin that they might not, what? Desire to transgress. Those who receive Christ are obedient to his commands. Watch why. For his mind is given to them. He imbues them with, his, with spirit of obedience and they return to their loyalty. You know, I used to think that God was going to reach into my heart and rip sin out. 
But that's not what he does. He works with me until I see it for what it is and I vomit it up. What I used to love, I now despise. And what I used to despise, I now love. Volume uh, 3, Testimonies, page 538. This is an amazing quote here. It may take, what's the next word? Time to attain perfect submission to God's will. But we can never stop short of it and be fitted for heaven. True religion will lead its possessor on to what? Perfection. Your thoughts, your words, and your actions, as well as your appetites and passions, must be brought into subjection to the will of God. You must bear fruit unto holiness. Many times you mention holiness to Adventists, and they leave skid marks. It scares them to death. You, you bring up uh, perfection, and I've had people get in my face real angry, and after they exhausted themselves, I'll ask them one simple question. Dear friend, what is perfection to you? And I get the goofiest answers. But if you look at the quote, you'll find the answer. It is perfect submission. It is a day by day, moment by moment, submission to the revealed will of God. Simple definition. Does that make sense? It's surrender. And don't forget the quote that we read earlier in Desire of Ages, page 668. When we know God, our life will be a life of continual obedience. Through an appreciation of his character, sin will become what? Hateful. That's a work that God does in the life as we focus on him daily, daily. Look at this next quote. If that doesn't make sense... Look at the next one. Desire of Ages, page 302. If the eye is kept fixed on Christ, the work of the Spirit ceases not until the soul is conformed to His image. Can you say amen to that? As we focus on Jesus, as we claim his promises, as we give him permission to work in our lives, and we don't justify wrong, but call sin, sin in my life. Don't be so concerned about everybody else's. Look in the mirror and take care of the deal there. And as we allow God to work with us and we look to Jesus, the Holy Spirit works with us imperceptibly until our lives have changed. You know, as I have struggled with this, there have been times of incredible discouragement to me because I've re readjusted my focus to myself. There's no hope there. But what's really encouraged me are the times my wife has come alongside and say, yeah, but George, the Lord is changing you. This is no longer part of your life, and that's the part. My point is that while we're looking to Jesus, we're not aware of what's happening here, but the people around us will be. They will be. They'll be looking. And this is the work that will take place in the lives of a generation that God will finally be able to let the crisis come and then we can go home. And that will happen in one generation. I submit to you, that generation is walking the earth right now. And the reason I know that is because of what is happening in the world. Brothers and sisters, if you do some research on what was taking place in 1888, it will blow your mind. Let me, let me give you a quick history here. First of all, uh, in 1881, when, when this message we have been talking about begins to dawn on E.J. Wagner, from that moment, do a little history, timeline, what's happening in America, the Sunday laws began. The moment the Righteous by Faith message hits Wagner, boom, poof, it begins. 
And as he begins to flesh it out and begins to preach it, the Sunday law issues begin to intensify. Let me share with you something else that was happening in the world at this time. Um, the economy of the United States was tanking. Sound familiar? Very interesting. There was revival that was breaking out in men like Dwight L. Moody and missionary work by uh, Hudson Taylor and the likes. And, they, and it's very interesting. If you do a little historical research, after 1888, they all went into decline. God was preparing the world for the end. And if our church had accepted the message that it wasn't about all the good things we were doing that was going to save us, it never was. It was about His work in us so that He can get the glory. There is no good in us except for what He does in us. And if we allowed that, if we believed it, that he who began a good work in you really can complete it. Look to me and live. Just like Moses turned to the children of Israel, look to the serpent there on the pole. If you will look, you will be healed. Look to that cross. I have, Jesus has, has the power to create in us what was lost. The Sabbath was supposed to be a reminder every week that God's creative power can be unleashed in our lives. He can still bring light out of darkness. He still can. But instead, they were looking to their own works. They got so busy at the work, in the work of God that they forgot the God of the work. They made a savior out of activity. And we're still here. Very interesting, by the way, that, uh, you know, the attempts... Ellen White and Jones and Wagner to get the message spread and, and, and the leadership in their ignorance, this is not critical, but in their ignorance, their attempts to block it and they shipped off Ellen White to Australia to get her out of the way and Wagner off to Europe to bring an end to the to revival. By 1896, the revival comes to an end and guess what happens? Uh, the economy gets better and the Sunday laws go quiet after that. See, God was preparing the crisis to get us ready to go home. You know what brings on the crisis? When God's people finally get it. The crisis is coming. God's people are getting it. If you pay attention, the Sunday laws around the world are unreal, brothers and sisters. We're just the last ones that are not on board. But when we finally get on board, we're going to put teeth on it. It's going to glow like a flash fire around the world. Fast. And we're out of here. The end is upon us. The people of God are beginning to understand. That's what's happening now. Okay. <clears throat> Number nine. This process involves our cooperative uh, cooperation by examining ourselves in the light of God's word. We looked at this, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you're disqualified? And we talked about the self. This is the problem. We talked about this already. This is the problem with Laodicea. Laodicea is blind because she's not examining herself, her own life, compared to Jesus. Laodicea has lost sight of Jesus completely. So she thinks everything's great. She's lost. It's only when we look to Jesus that we'll see our need and we'll run to him. 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Have you ever been spanked by God? I have. You know what the Lord does? As we get in the word, he'll reveal to us something that we're doing that's not right. And, uh, and if we kind of ignore that, 
then he will bring a spouse or a child. If we ignore that, then he's going to bring our boss or a friend or the pastor. And if that doesn't work, it's Mr. Policeman. Are you with me? The Lord keeps working with us and trying to get us to turn and live. Number 10, every secret thing is brought out in the judgment, including our thoughts and motives. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing. All the ways of the man are, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes. Amen? <laughs> but the Lord weighs the spirits, our motives, behind that. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. That's why we have to be in the word. Uh, number 11, uh, Even hereditary sins are considered in the judgment. Will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Then make known to them the abominations of what? Of their fathers. Make known to them the abomination of their fathers. You know, many times, because we had a bad childhood, we feel justified in doing wrong. And the Lord is saying, no. God calls us to end the cycles of pain in our homes that we grew up in so that we don't bring it into our new families. Amen? It's kind of like going to the mall and you see a sign that says, you are here, right? It doesn't mean you're going to be there forever. We understand that. The goal, the goal is to look at that sign and get a point of reference to where we're supposed to be and then start heading in that direction. And so when there are pains and stuff from our family, okay, that may explain why I am the way I am today, but Jesus has promised to change that if I'll let him. Let's continue. Number 12, God will graciously show us everything that keeps us from fully reflecting his character. Philippians 3.15, therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, that if anything you think otherwise, God will what? Will reveal even this to you. So God brings us into circumstances to show us what's really in there. You may, have you ever been there where you've said, God, where are you? Why is, it seems like the whole world is caving in on me. Everything is going bad. It's because he's working to show you something that's lurking in your heart. He's bringing it to the surface. Hang on. That's why Peter says, think it not strange. Uh, the fiery trial that's come upon you as though some strange thing has come upon you. He says, hey, the Lord is at work. Hang on. He's going to reveal it. Are you with me? And sometimes I don't understand why, but sometimes through those fiery trials, when I come through on the other side, I'm a different person. Isn't it the truth? And I can't make the connection between the change in my life and the trial I went through, but I'm different. Number 13. This is not to condemn us, but so that we may repent and live. Ezekiel 18, 30-32. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from your transgression, so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed, and get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore turn and live. Brothers and sisters, do you know where we need to go for a new heart? It's for Jesus. Even the desire for it comes from Jesus. Let's keep going. Number 14, God's righteous judgments teach and train us so that we may share in his holiness and reap a harvest of righteousness and peace. Hebrews 12, 10, and 11. For they are earthly dads, indeed for a few days, chasten us as seems best to them. But he, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of what? To those who have been what? Trained by it. Jacob felt justified in deceiving his father and, 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 and defrauding his brother. 
After all, didn't he want the birthright, the blessing from God? Didn't the end justify the means? He felt justified. God said, son, you cannot have that in your character. So guess what he did? He allowed Jacob to get a taste of his own medicine. He experienced defrauding. He experienced deception. He had a different perspective. And suddenly he said, you know what? Under no condition is that acceptable. You don't see that anymore in his life. Hard experience, right? But he learned it by the grace of God. In the end result of this work will be the cleansing of the conscience from all sinful principles. And through the mighty agency of the Holy Spirit, writing upon the mind the principles of God's law as promised under the provision of the new covenant. Second Peter is amazing. Oh, this is so amazing. Second Peter 1, 2 through 4. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. How? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power has given us. How many things? All things that pertain unto life and godliness, how? Through a knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious what? Promises that by these you might be partakers of what? The divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So when you and I are born, we're born with a fallen nature, a natural propensity to evil. But when we ask Jesus into our life, a new element comes into the fallen human being. It's the divine nature through the Holy Spirit. And now the power to say no to the fallen nature is present. And how do we strengthen that? By feeding it. And how do we weaken the fallen nature? By starving it. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Do not feed the fallen nature. Starve it. Weaken it. But strengthen the divine. Does this make sense? <clears throat> now, look at this next quote. This next quote is mind-blowing. Before you do, I'm going to share something with you. You see this, you know, when God, when God created the universe, what did he do to create it? How do you do that? God's word has creative power. You know that if you get an atom and you split it, what do you get? Energy, you get, right? That's one atom. How many atoms are in me, in this room, on this planet, in the entire universe? What does that tell us about the power of God? His word has incredible power. This book is called the Word. And the creative power that created this universe is found here. And as we spend time in it, that power is diffused in the life to recreate us into his image. Look at this next quote in the spirit of prophecy. It is mind-blowing. Education 126. The creative energy that called the worlds into existence is in the word of God. This word imparts what? Power, it begets what? Life. Every, this is amazing, every command is a promise. Accepted by the will, received into the soul. Watch this, this is mind-blowing. It brings with it the life of the infinite one. It transforms the what? The nature. And recreates the soul into the image of God. It never was about what you could do to change. It was about what God has promised it to do in your life if you cooperate with him. Does this make sense? 
Let's take a look at some promises here. Hebrews 9.14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Philippians 1.6, For of this I am confident, he that began a good work within you will go on to perfect it in preparation of the day of Jesus Christ. Jude 24, glorious words, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Number 16, what does the life look like when God's law is written upon the heart? Galatians 5, 22, 23, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It looks like Jesus. Number 17, what will the final result of of Christ's judgment work in uh, in his end-time saints. Excuse me. What will be the final result of Christ's judgment work in his end-time saints? Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of who? Of Jesus. Pastor Balte, that's us, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Dear friends, if it was, we wouldn't be here. It's what we're supposed to be. You see, the rebellion began in heaven when a bright shining angel stood up and said that God's laws could not be obeyed. Sinning was inevitable. Does this sound familiar? There are Christians out there that are echoing the voice of the serpent. Dear friends, when we get to this condition, we're out of here. And it's a work that he's promised to do in our lives. You see, what's going to happen is there's going to be a generation that arises that trusts God and will fully yield their lives to him. And Jesus is going to shine through their life. And when that generation is on the earth, there's going to be an incredible crisis, just like what Job felt. And they're going to get put under pressure to demonstrate to the whole universe that God can be obeyed. He can be, no matter what the circumstance. And that generation is going to vindicate God before the universe. And the only-looking universe is going to be watching. And this argument from Satan is going to be refuted. And God is going to stand up and say, Here are they. Exhibit A. The controversy is over. Let's go get them. Does this make sense? They vindicate God. But there is a final warning we have to remember. What warning does our great high priest have for us today? Watch, therefore, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. Perilous is the condition of those who, growing weary of their watch, turn to the attractions of the world. While the man of business is absorbed in the pursuit of gain, while the pleasure lover is seeking indulgence, while the daughter of fashion is arranging her adornments, it may be at that hour that the judge of all the earth will pronounce the sentence, that are weighed in the balance and are found wanting. Brothers and sisters, we're almost home. Don't lose focus now. We're almost out of here. Keep your focus upon Jesus. Be honest with him. We can't hide anything from him. (laughs) Be honest with him. Let him into that dark room in your heart, that one that holds that terrible memory or whatever, and let him go in and cleanse it so that he can prepare us for his soon coming. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, you are so gracious and kind to us. Oh, Father, we have just had such wrong thinking about you and how this whole thing works. And so often we've tried to do your work instead of letting you do your work in our lives. Lord, help us to let you work in us.
to claim your promises and to believe you. Help us, Lord, I pray, to find our strength in your word, to cry out to you, and to remember to give you permission into every area of our lives. Help us to remember that we are never justified in, in doing something that does not reflect your character. You were provoked, but you always responded with love and dignity and respect. And that's the example that you've left us. You can't change, Lord, what we justify. But you have promised in John 1, 9 that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us. But it doesn't end there, but to cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. And we know your promises cannot fail. Lord, I ask for your blessings upon all here. May your name be glorified in our lives. May you bring to our remembrance the things we need now. You promise to do it, so we thank you for it. We ask it in Christ's name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot org.